another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dera, Tea. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart. Now go, you heroes of Thra. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone. This is your vital essence on the Dark Crystal. I'm your host, Philip, and I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. As we got a very special guest for this episode of Trial by Stone, pretty much no introductions <laughs> are in order because we've had this guest almost uh, every year on the show. He's been, I guess, in a way, you know, part of the show since the very first episode. And that is, of course, author J.M. Lee, or Joe. Joe, of course, I guess for anyone who are, who is new to the podcast, J.M. Lee is the author of the young adult novels. And when I started the show, I mean, when I started the show, this was during uh, when darkcrystal.com, they had this um, author quest for a chance for, um, for an author to be able to write a prequel story uh, to the Dark Crystal. And J.M. Lee was the one who won the author quest. And it just, I guess it just really went on to big things for you, Joe. So, you know, from, you know, from one book to four books and, and now being actually, you know, part of Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. So, Joe, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me back. It's really, it's really fun to go back and listen to, you know, some of the earliest episodes back when, you know, we we're all just starting off on this crazy journey yeah. <laughs> we didn't have any idea where it was going to go yeah. um, to where we are now. So it's really fun to be back on the show five years later. And, and, and it's still, it's just, it's amazing to see what has happened since then. Oh yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, with me, of course, uh, my co-hosts, uh, Ethan and Jamie, uh, with me as well, sort of, as we're sort of continuing on, you know, with this whole sort of journey with, the Dark Crystal podcasting, it's, it's, yeah, it really has been just incredible time, just like the five years that, I mean, since, you know, we've started the show and it, yeah, it's just been such a surreal experience you know, to where we are today with, you know, with the Netflix to the, and, and all the, all the material that being, that has been coming out in the past uh, five years. Yeah. 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 So I, I guess, you know, we might as well chat about, of course, you know, we'll definitely talk about Age of Resistance, of course, but I mean, I would love to know, um, I mean, how, how's the response has been for you, like, since the show has come out? And I know there's been so many fans or, you know, new people sort of getting into Dark Crystal and sort of discovering uh, your books, of course, you know, with Shadows and, and Song and Tides and Flames. I'm, I'm really curious, like, how's the response has been, like, from your end, you know, sort of seeing all the activity happening, like, I mean, especially, like, with Twitter uh, for yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has been so... Fun. I mean, I think Javi and I and Vivian and Carrie are are the ones that are mainly on Twitter. And so we've been getting a lot of the Twitter because Jeff and Will don't have Twitter. Um, and so we've been like fielding a lot of the amazing responses um, that we've been getting on Twitter. The feedback has been so wonderful. Everybody is so excited. People who have been waiting for it for 30 years, people who have discovered puppet television for the first time ever. Just, just watching it and having their just minds blown by by the what they what they aren't even sure what they're watching, you know. Yeah. <laughs> to, to it. And I'm my, one of my favorite things too. Like when the when the show premiered, um, was watching people sort of live tweet the entire ten episodes and like, <laughs> you know, especially people who didn't know anything about the Dark Crystal and they're like, what what is this? What who are what is happening? You know, and just going on that it's like it's almost like rediscovering it for the first time. You know, because you, you live with this. I mean, I've been part of the show for, you know, three years. I've been kind of tuned into what's going on with it. And then, you know, suddenly we're all waiting. August 30th, the show drops. And suddenly you have people who who have never heard of The Dark Crystal before watching it and experiencing it fresh for the very first time. And it's like it's like being able to re-experience that. So it's been so cool. Yeah, it's just been incredible just seeing all the, all the responses, you know, from people and, 
And even I've been loving like just seeing all the fan art that um all the people you know sort of make you know whether you know from characters from the books and and all that. So I, I guess you know I probably wanted to chat about like um your time like when because of course you know when you started writing the books. I actually wanted to know sort of like I guess the origins of the books because from from my uh, from my understanding was sort of the origins of the books was sort of you were able to use sort of ideas that were from... Because I know originally, you know, they were planning this as an animated series and there were certain elements of from the animated series that sort of got transitioned over, you know, to your books, which then sort of later got transitioned over with um, the TV show. So so how's it been like sort of, you know, the, the, the whole transitioning there, I guess, that that happened like once that show got announced and sort of how, how much that really sort of changed... Uh, your books in a way or how it it impacted because of uh, what was happening with the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Sure. So I can give you maybe kind of like a, a aerial view landscape of the timeline as it as as it has been from my perspective um, in, in a way. So so there have been and there's a documentary on Netflix. You can watch it. We go a little bit more into detail uh, there. But generally speaking, um, so people have been trying to kind of develop a prequel series uh, in several different iterations over many, many years. Um, like you said, there, you know, the animated series, there have been just a lot of different um, developments have been sort of uh, at work and being looked at and trying to figure out, you know, where is this going and what do we want to do? And through the course of those different iterations, there was this sort of um, prequel Bible in a way that was consolidated between all of those, you know, the, the best ideas that came out of all of those treatments and those developments. And that information is what eventually became the, the corpus of, uh, I want to say, um, source material for what would become the author quest, right? So when author quest was launched in 2013, I think. 2013, yeah. yeah. yeah yep, yeah, yeah. yep. They had darkcrystal.com, which was basically the the compilation of all of that information. Um, and so, like, part of the, the author quest was included David Slack's uh, original treatment pitch, right? Um, and so what I was using for my very first, basically, stab, my very first pitch for the author quest was that information, which I didn't know at the time. I just, you know, they said, here's darkcrystal.com, here's all the information that we want to be included in this world. Authors, look at this, see what calls to you, see what speaks to you, tell us what story you would want to tell with this, given this landscape, and then give us your pitch, right? So, um, in a way, everything that I had to work with was everything that everybody out the author quest was given to 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 work with. Um, and then once uh, you know we started moving forward with Shadows of the Dark Crystal, um, there was opportunity to start making a little bit of changes here and there. So, for example, uh, the original, name for what would become the Stonewood clan was the Woodland clan. And I got a, I got a note from Henson during, you know, Shadows of the Dark Crystal. And they said, you know, and if you maybe consider thinking of another name for this clan, if you want, you know, we're, we're not like super attached to this one or whatever, whatever the comment was, it was basically like saying, you know, if you, if you have a suggestion or if you have some creative ideas, we, we want to hear them and we'd love to see where you could develop on top of this, you know, existing, corpus and see you know what where you would like to take this so then i was given the opportunity to um say you know well i'd really think it would be really cool if we did this or went to this direction or here's my idea for what the crystal sea might look like or you know like we would have we get to have those conversations um during the process of writing the books which was really cool i i think when i first started author quest i didn't know that was like an option. I was like, nope, this is the author quest details and I'm going to stick to this because this is the, this is the Bible. Right. Um, so it's really cool to see, you know, how it's developed from that, that perspective through the course of the books. And then of course, um, so as I was writing the books, um, it was, I think as song of the dark crystal was in copy editing, which is one of the final stages that you go through, um, in publishing with a manuscript that I got the call that everybody was very excited about that the TV series had been greenlit at Netflix. Um, so of course things changed then, right? Because you've got 
another uh, simultaneous project ongoing that is going to be in a way sharing narrative resources um, and trying to decide, you know, how will these two projects talk to each other, to what extent? And so those conversations started happening. Um, and uh, of course, then I was, I had the opportunity to work on the show as well, which was really uh, helpful in writing. <laughs> as I mean, if you've seen the show and you've read the books, you can imagine why that might be yeah, helpful I bet. for me. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a moment where everybody was like, oh, these are you might want to know what's happening in yeah because <laughs> yeah, i know i know especially i think one I, I think i mean i know there's been a talk of a lot of fans sort of you know the connections between the young adult novels and then of course with the show that it's like oh you know things don't you know mesh up or or that sort of thing and i know sort of one of the big things i mean for example i think which i heard on another podcast with some of the writers that was sort of in discussion about what was happening you know with the character of tavra and of course, you know, in the books, you know, in, in Song of the Dark Crystal, Tavra uh, is a spider, essentially. And it's sort of like, well, how, how are we going to fit that, like, with age resistance? There is some controversy. And, yeah. yeah. There, there's been fights. There's, there's been blood. <laughs> She's a spider. <laughs> we, there, is, there have been so many times that the phrase... Tabra is a spider has been it's like it's like the most the most loaded phrase in dark in the dark crystal prequel world yeah because I mean even I met even I remember like when I was reading um that you know Song of the Dark Crystal which was you know one of my favorite books and I, I just being so shocked about just that that transformation that that happens with Tavra. I'm like wow okay that that's so so bizarre but so interesting I'm just like yeah <laughs> Yeah, that was the response that a lot of people had, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, what I can say about that is that um, when I was writing the books, I wanted to tell a whole story with the books. And when we were writing, when we were writing the show, we wanted to tell a whole story in the show so that anybody who walks into either of those worlds is able to get a whole story from beginning, middle, and end within the context of that medium. Um, and so there was definitely some uh, creative uh, problem solving that we had to do in the writer's room of both projects <laughs> yeah <laughs> to uh, to get the best to get the best out of what we could in each media um, to make sure that you know we're doing what's um, what's right for that medium and what's right for that story uh, at with as much um, I want to say like, Will Will Matthews has said a really I really like the metaphor that he uses, which is that the show and the books rhyme, right? So whenever we're talking about trying to get these stories to sort of line up as best we can, we're trying to get the best rhyme that we can. I really like that. I dig that. You know, it's not they're not going to line up, but they rhyme. I like that. I mean, what a what an interesting problem to have. Like we're going to bring back Dark Crystal. Oh, it's already been brought back. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, well, I dig it. No, uh, I, I really like that Dark Crystal mythology. None of it really lines up, but I really like that that term. Uh, it rhymes because you know, for years I've been like creation myth contradicts that, and 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 shadows contradicts this or something. And I've really just kind of laid back and said, you know what? It's never gonna line up. It's chill. It's okay. And just right. enjoy it in its own, own context. You know, don't read Song of the Dark Crystal and compare it to, you know, Age of Resistance Episode 7 or something and, you know, start trying to click them together. Like, no, 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 no. Just enjoy them in their own context. It's totally fine. I I dig that. But, uh, like, was there any conversations to try and get them to line up? Or can you say that? Can Is there any, like, like I said, uh, earlier well not earlier but um off the air uh you know star wars tries to meticulously make everything line up but dark crystal's not that way was there ever an effort to try and make it that way we were always trying to get the best matchup that we could given the mediums right so for example um well, i mean like not for example but i mean i i was able to be part of the entire 
uh, arc writing process for the show. So I knew where the story was going. One of the reasons actually that they had me on the show was to make sure that the books were at least talking to the show and the show was talking to the books and being informed and formed by the books. Um, and so I do remember, I mean, I, I had the chance to watch episodes nine and 10 while I was writing flames of the dark crystal so that the ending sequence at least had, you know, the same cadence in a way. Um, but obviously if you read the two, if you read flames of the dark crystal and watch the finale of age of resistance, there's significant differences. Um, but in the end, like they have the same melody. And I think that, uh, I mean, we all, we all wanted to, I think, I mean, I just keep going back to sort of what I said before, which is like, we wanted to get the best that we could out of each medium, but each medium has a different strength, right? Um, written word is going to have different things to bring to the table than a visual puppet show, right? And and they each has their weaknesses as well. So really trying to play to the strengths of the two different formats and then do as much as we can to get them to sort of... Um, to talk to each other was was both a challenge and also a very you know uh, we all learned a lot <laughs> about um, <laughs> we all learned a lot I would say oh I bet I don't know I I dig both of them I mean I I me personally I see um, your your young adult novels in their own universe AOR in its own universe and they're both um well everything in their own universe really they're both their own thing and they're just as um important just as i mean i i dig the ending of flames this is a spoiler podcast right philip like whatever (laughs) like when when the wall shows up i was jumping on my couch i was like holy crap (laughs) like this is it you know the stars are all looking down and i was like oh man i bet like Oh man, the whole freaking galaxy, every crystal in the universe is glowing right now, be- beaming down a wall. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. It was so freaking cool. And of course, I, I'm not alone in this. Like when it didn't happen in AOR, there was that moment of like, well, crap. I bet they didn't have the budget for it. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I was going to say that one of the biggest things that we were able to do in the books that we did not have the freedom to do in the show was like, I can, it's free not free, it's the same cost to me as an author to write something that would be extremely expensive to film, right? Like that, and that's one of the things that they, that they said, like when you do tides and flames, like go somewhere that we can't afford to go with puppets right now. Like go on the, go on the water, set things on fire. Like, you know, (laughs) like do it. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Just to see, you know, how I guess they were very encouraging for you to sort of like with the stories, you know, to try and make, to do as best, you know, as, as you could, you know, with the whole uh, rhyming aspect, but also sort of, you know, to take your own sort of interpretation, yeah, with, with the stories and stuff. And I think that's, I think that's the thing that I actually, you know, enjoyed with, uh, with your books that, I mean, that was the thing, like when, when watching the show, I was, I, you know, I was really curious, like how well things are going to uh, match up. And I think it was like from episode four when all, you know, with Kylan and Naya and they all meet at, at the podling bar and they're sort of introducing to each other. It's like, oh, okay. So I knew from that moment onwards, it's like, well, pretty much anything can uh, can happen with Age of Resistance and that, and that don't have to think too much about how it lines up the books. But I sort of like at the same time that uh, that your books are sort of, they are its own thing and that, that you've, you know, that you're able to sort of, you know, especially with Flames, be able to conclude with your with your story like your own interpretation i guess um how it all started i guess you know with shadows of the dark crystal and especially going going back to naya's uh, perspective with flames of the dark crystal right and i think um i like what ethan said on the previous podcast about how it's more fun in a lot of ways. I think some people are like well what do you, what do you, what is there to achieve you know what why is this good and you know i i I love Game of Thrones, right? And I like the books and I like the show differently. And are either of them, I mean, they're very different, but at the same time, they both capture the essence of what is happening, um, arguably in some cases. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that um, especially in a world where we have opportunities to make a lot of tie-in media and a lot of uh, 
transmedia projects and properties and do all of these things, being able to be a little bit more flexible with um, the perspective allows us to tell a variety of stories. So one of the things that is significantly different, in my opinion, between the books and the show is the age of the characters. But I don't really think that that really bothers a lot of people. But like in the books, it's a YA series. It's for young adult readers. So the characters are young adults. Um, Naya and Gurjan are twins. And Gurjan is the same age as Rianne. So in theory, Rianne is the same age as Naya, right? But in the show, they're all significantly older because we were telling a story that it was better told with characters that were a little bit older than young adult characters, right? So I think that that gives us opportunities to speak to different audiences and to reach different audiences in different ways. People who like to read books, people who would prefer to have something like a graphic novel or a comic book or would prefer to have, you know, a television series, people who love puppetry, who want to see the puppets. It gives us the opportunity to not be restrained by by like minute by minute timelines and things like that. Um, so I, I, I totally agree. I think that it, that one of the hugest, biggest benefits of having the, the world kind of set up this way is that it is a lot more fun and there's a lot of freedom and where we can go and tell stories and give you more slices of thra. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, especially with, um, yeah. And even like with future stories, you know, with the dark crystal that for anyone that's going to be involved, like in future projects that, yeah, sort of have that bit of freedom to, um, uh, tell their own interpretation or their own story uh, within. So, um, Jamie, I know you probably had a couple of questions that you wanted to um, ask uh, Joe about with his time uh, with, with the show or with the book. So I'll pass it over to you, Jamie. So, Joe, my question for you is rewinding, like let's rewind 10 years. And this is the Joe before the books, before you're working with Henson. I'm curious, like when you you know, with your love of the dark crystal, what scene comes to mind for you that really inspired you? Not as a writer for the books, not as, I mean, maybe eventually, yes, but just as a person, as a creative person, what about the world made you kind of catch your breath? There were, there are two scenes that always come to mind. The first scene is always when Kira's wings come out for the first time. Oh, really? Me too. It's my favorite scene of all time. Yeah. It's amazing because it's not like they, it's not built up to, it's not in any way you don't expect it. But when it happens, it's so magical, but it's also so natural. Like, it's not like, well, and she's so nonchalant about it too. Like, duh, right? Like, obviously. And I think that that was like a moment where, especially at, at the place where it is in the film, my, as a, as a kid, I remember I had forgotten I was watching puppets, like the way Louis says, you know, at that point, I was totally invested. I was totally immersed in the world of wasn't watching puppets anymore. I was watching this magical story. And so when they they jump and then the wings come out and th there's just this slow of the, uh, the pause of the action and they drift down. And I was just like, oh, what anything could happen here almost like this is just amazing, you know? Oh, you and said it, was... it. That bothers <laughs> raw, doesn't it? Like anything could happen. Any. Yeah. I, all bets are off. Absolutely. Well, and it's also this break from this like kind of scary scene where the Landstriders are like getting, you know, the stuff's happening. And, um, and I, and it's like this scary sort of action sequence. And then the, the, the action just stills and it's just this floating moment. So I, I distinctly, I think that the, the first time I saw the film, that might be the only scene that I remembered and until I, I watched it a billion times later. And then the second scene that has always stuck with me is the banquet scene. Like, I love I love that scene. Like, I just, I want to see puppets being disgusting and eating things. It's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love that sort of, that kind of moment sort of happened, like, in Age Resistance with all the Skeksis eating and, and drinking. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's just a great moment, yeah. I remember in the writer's room, we were talking about the banquet scene because that's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's the best. It's maybe the best scene. Like, it's just an amazing of everything that's happening in this film comes together into this one amazing moment, you know, and, and I'm, we're talking, we're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in Age of Resistance that's going to have that, that in it? And um, I think it was Jeff was like, well, we wanted to do a bath scene. <laughs> and we were like, yes. <laughs> 
that is that's the one that's gonna be our you know that's gonna be it so it was it was fun to see that like come to like the I remember the bath scene was one of the earliest concepts and to see it like have its place you know is just I love it yeah I, I just love just seeing Olga like you know washing her eye and then and then there was like a moment where she pauses like come on you know I'm I'm just trying to get this thing done and <laughs> yeah well and, and it, yeah in the original film too when when you see the chamberlain after he's had all his robes torn away too it's like seeing him naked is just so like disarming and weird and so like seeing multiple skexes being naked and weird was like <laughs> you know like the epitome of weird skexes things so yeah i was i loved i loved that just that show just has so many um, weird moments, but it, it screams um, Dark Crystal at, at the same time. So, yeah. That it was isn't just, Dark just Crystal without weird. a little nudity, I say. Right. I mean, <laughs> mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and and so I guess, like, when you heard that age resistance, you know, that, that was definitely happening and you sort of got on board with being part of the, the writing team, um, I, I guess, like, what, what was it like, you know, uh, when you were uh, tasked uh, to to write like the second episode of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, to sort of follow on with what what so much that ha- that happened in the pilot to follow up from that for yourself, Joe. So one of the things that I didn't know about writing television is that you you get assigned an episode sort of it's not arbitrary, but it's definitely a little bit more. Everybody in the writers' room works on the overall story, and we all you know, the more heads, the better, right? The more people thinking and the more people being creative and problem solving and breaking story and all that. Um, I was really glad to get episode two though, because there is a lot in episode two that actually ties in with the books. So I was really excited to be able to write Gurgen and Rianne's, you know, um, daring escapade, um, which is so, it's sort of like implied heavily in the books, but you don't really get to see it. So that was actually really fun for me. Um, and, but yeah, there was also the pressure of like, okay, <laughs> the first episode that's not written by Jeff and Will, <laughs> episode two, you know, no pressure. Um, but what, what I really love about, you know, working with this team is that Will and Jeff were amazing mentors. I mean, I had never written a screenplay before and, you know, they, and Will and Jeff and Javi were all, everybody were all extremely, um, uh, uh, constructive and, um, and helpful. And then of course, you know, as, as the series continues to be developed, you know, like, um, different people look at the scripts and work on them. And I think Jeff was on the scripts until the very bitter end, you know, (laughs) making sure that everything, you know, he was working on them. And, and so uh, as much as, um, it was, as much as I had the opportunity to write that script, it still remains and remained a collaborative project between, you know, among the entire team. And um, so it was it was good to have that support system, but also like to to see it as proof of of such a a tightly knit group of of collaborative team play playing. I guess does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah totally. Absolutely. It- yeah, because I mean, especially when um Jeff and Will um when they were brought on, you know, when they sort of pitched their idea for Age of Resistance, and I mean, it was mentioned in the documentary that they never worked in in television before. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and and so that's when sort of uh, Harvey sort of uh, came into play with you know, you know, you know, with his experience, you know, in television through Lost and The Middleman and so many other shows, um, to sort of help you know to to build up this sort of you know the writers' room and. You know, and so that that collaborative, I guess, aspect with making the show. So, so no, it, it, yeah, it was it was just so yeah, just so cool. You know, just seeing those those moments within the documentary about that. Even though when you know when you're tasked for just writing a specific episode, but you still had that collaborative effort from uh, from everyone being involved with the show and and providing feedback. You know, with, with things now and then, and um, yeah. So I think that's really cool. Just a, I guess you know, having sort of like continuity as well just that everyone's on board you know it's not like oh you know writing on your own sort of thing that yeah at least you um had the support from uh from everyone working on the show absolutely i mean we had we had a couple people in who were attempting as like you know who had worked on other shows like uh like 
other, I want to say, I don't know if I should say exactly which show, but there's a, a show that has lots and lots and lots of episodes where basically the writers will just pitch the one episode that they're writing. And if the guy who's running the show is like, yeah, that's great, then you write that. And then if it's good, then we'll do it. But if it's not, then we won't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where this was totally different. We all knew which, which what was going to happen in each episode from the get-go. We had all 10 episodes sort of structured. So we all knew what the plan was, which was... I mean, I'm a very outline-oriented writer, so that was indes- you know wouldn't have worked otherwise. Um, especially when you're when you only have ten episodes and you need to like get everything in, you know, um, super important to stay organized. And Javi definitely has that down to a science. He made it so easy before the couple days, like right before he he got onto um, came into the room. We were just like, we have these ideas, and we're creative people, and we know what we want to do, but we don't know. How? <laughs> you know, How do you and, put it together? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and Javi came in and the first thing he said was, where are the bulletin boards? <laughs> where are your note cards? We're going to note card this. And he like gave us a structure and he gave us like a mechanism. He gave us the tools and it was so, everybody brought, you know, so many different talents and it was, it, it was, it was fantastic. I want to know about your love of podlings. Obviously for me, the opening the opening of of episode two is advised for my favorite next to the op- opening of I think it's episode seven or I maybe six where you see Brea in the in the hat and she's in the order of less, lesser service, which is also a very large podling um, scene. But I'm curious, like I love the podlings. I love the podlings more than I now than I ever did just because of Hup, but especially the character uh, that works for Agra. I thought that was a really beautiful moment. Um, and I'm curious how, maybe not just with you, but with the writers, how you guys couch the podlings in terms of their sentience. You know, some of them just seemed like they were, they just love to have fun and get drunk and have a good time and party. Then you have... Uh, the podling who worked for Agra, who's very more duty oriented, um, just lovely and cute and has a life of his own, much like Hup, who's kind of out on his own journey. Like, how did you frame the podling race? Sure. Well, first, I can't take credit for the podling attendant, unfortunately. I love that guy. No. That that was actually. (laughs) That That wasn't you? No, that was a revision. I think that was Jeff. Jeff loves the podlings jeff 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 is a podling in his heart i believe um there there were some times i think when we were working on hup and and jeff had very like specific ideas about how he wanted hup and i love hup so much but i think hup hup in some ways is sort of jeff's um jeff's spirit in 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 a lot of ways i and so um but as far as the podlings go i think we just wanted i mean the podlings are just so joyous and fun kind of no matter uh, like what their context is um and tod- i'm the father of a two-year-old they are toddlers basically right yeah <laughs> so my toddler is a podling it's amazing no nice. but go on i'm t- <laughs> but i think what we try to do i mean like with the gelfling and the podlings and all of the creatures that we got to show in the show was to show like some variety right um, and so, you know, you take these moments where you're like, okay, we got a podling that is duty oriented. We got a podling that it wants to be a paladin. We have a podling who, uh, kicker from episode three, right. Who just is not going to have a bath who, you know, and, um, and having like showing, showing diversity with the po- among the podlings and sort of the same way that we showed them with, with the, the gelfling, I think was sort of the idea uh, just because we had this playground to work with in which there were lots of podlings and there are lots of gelfling. There's just more, it's more populated. Um, I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but that's what comes to mind, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious. Uh, I know there's been some discussion about like exactly the role of the podlings, not so much in the show, but like in Thra, like they they seem to be of the intelligent races. They seem to be the least intelligent, but at the same time, you have people or podlings like Hup who aspire for greatness. Who who he has this sense of duty and loyalty, and he wants to serve. Um, but they also they seem to be a very um, a, uh, a race that 
sort of is used to serving other higher races and then that's what they do so they there's this dichotomy working with them as a as a race or a species which i think is beautiful but i don't think i was sort of fully understanding what their their role in the um in the symbiosis was or is well and whatever i mean like i'm this is me speaking from my own like inter- my 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 head canon i guess <laughs> but um one of the things that i think is really interesting about the creatures of Thra is that we can't necessarily equate them to the types of people or roles that we have on Earth. So, oh, totally, totally. And yeah. I, and I, lo- I love that. Uh, one of the things that I've always loved is that the number of fingers that the different creatures have varies, and that you know the Gelfling have they have three fingers and a thumb, right? The Podlings have two fingers and a thumb, which which does that mean, like, what does that mean? But also three is like the magic number of Thra. And so in some ways, I feel like the podlings are more like of the earth in a way. But what does that mean in the context of like, what does the Thra, you know, uh, overarching societal structure look like? How, 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 like if, if, if Thra is about the earth and the podlings are, of the earth does that make them simpler or does that make them more pure you know what i'm saying um i think about that a lot i I don't really have any answers (laughs) not that anybody cares but i kind of have an answer for that i know i'm not joe lee like he's he's the bamf here um but uh to me the lot was it the last episode um of AOR kind of suggested to me that the the line between people and animals is kind of blurred. Um, like the, when the Arathum wanted a, a hug from Gurgen, you know, um, when Deet first met the Arathum, she said, I get along with animals. What's going on? She saw the Arathum as an animal, but that animal and or a person, the Arathum, wanted to hug Gurgen. And then we've got, what's his name, Baffy, the Fizzgig, who wears a friggin' eye patch. <laughs> and you normally wouldn't think a, an animal could wear an eye patch. But in some ways, Fizzgigs are not simpler people. But like, Joe, you said it perfectly. You can't look at Thra people and say, oh, these, the Podlings are these sorts of real-life people, and the Fizzgigs are these real-life people. This is an alien planet. So when the Fizzgigs, like, yeah, they're animals, and yeah, they're people, but they're not necessarily more intelligent than Gelfling or less intelligent. They're just a different kind of people and animals at the same time. Like I said, that line is blurred. And so the Arathum, they're just a different kind of people and animals and so with the podlings in some ways they can be kind of funner more simple you know they chew on their toenails and play in the dirt and in other circumstances they can be these noble incredible characters who want to go become a paladin for the queen and um so that's the way i kind of view thraw i mean yeah everybody's animals and people and plants and you know everything all at the same time, and the and their their the lines blur everywhere. Right. That's my and take, I think, though. Uh, and I I like that approach. I think it also kind of harkens back to something that was said a long time ago about how on Thra, the line between mineral and plant and animal is blurred. Right, like rocks can move, uh, trees can just get up and walk away, and that was something that I think I think that when approaching the different creatures of Thra, trying not to think of the Gelfling as human will help. Whenever I'm thinking about the Gelfling, I think more about um, sort of the idea of, you know, the fae or the you know these these creatures that they they might look more human than other creatures but they are they're ultimately closer to thra than they are to being human beings from earth and sort of their relationship with thra is one that 
uh, I think people on earth should maybe strive for, but it's maybe something that isn't like super common to find on this planet, if that makes sense. <laughs> totally. And so listeners, you know, if you see a podling playing in the dirt and, you know, chewing on his foot, you know, don't look too much into it. You know, it's not <laughs> that, that, that that podling is supposed to be this person and symbolizing that. And, you know, like it, this is an alien planet where, you know, just enjoy the ride. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that, that, I mean, that's a way to go with, with Dark Crystal, you know, just to enjoy it for what it is and just ha- just have a blast of a time. Um, so I guess, Joe, I mean, one of your other sort of contributions with the show is um, uh, being a, a linguist for Podling, a Podling uh, linguist. Right, I did that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, of course, you know, you've had a long history, you know, being a, as a linguist. Um, but, I mean, so how that sort of came about, um, for yourself, you know, to, to pretty much like write, uh, I guess dialogue for, I mean, I don't know like what the extent was like if you wrote, um, like all the dialogue for, for Hup, uh, throughout the whole show, you know, in Podling, um, that you sort of devised your own sort of language of, you know, translations of how to speak Podling essentially. Yeah. So I got an email from Javi and he was like, Hey, we remembered that you have a degree in linguistics. Do you want to make the podling language? <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> I mean, as a, you know, you go to school, I have a, you know, you go to school for linguistics and they tell you, you can be a teacher or you can go and study a language. And, you know, that's kind of what you do as a linguist or, you know, um, and now there's, you know, computational linguistics too, which is luckily like a really big thing. But um, I always wanted to do conlangs. That was something that I've just loved ever since, you know, the the Klingon years and uh, with with Game of Thrones and listening to the amazing work done on the conlangs uh, in Game of Thrones or even like R2-D2, right? Like that's a conlang. It's, it's just a way of having a character communicate in a constructed way. Um, so when Javi asked, I was like, of course, that is like one of my dream jobs. Um, so uh, the project consisted of uh, creating basically a grammar. Um, and uh, so it's this, it's basically, it's a, it's a document that I wrote that has um, sort of like an overview of what podling grammar looks like, pronunciation, uh, what the, the sound set is, um, basic tense, basic, it has some cultural things that I added. Um, like, for example, podlings can't count past nine. Everything that's more than nine is just more than nine. Um, things that are sort of like that, that I, you know, trying I to give the like, Right, yeah. like, giving the like, think about where the podlings are coming from and sort of, like, what, what their values are and what they would have a lot of words for different kinds of dirt, you know, what, what things are like, not what things don't podlings like to do. All of the curse words are like translate to things. Podlings don't find natural, like taking baths and flying and things like that. Um, so I put together this language with this grammar and there's also a dictionary with uh, a couple hundred words um, that was mostly created in response to the script. So what I received was basically what, um, what Hup was saying, and then I translated the words, and then I I would then so I would do a translation uh, into Podling, and then I would also work with Victor Yard on. Um, he would sometimes be like, you know, I wish this line had a little was a little bit longer or a little bit shorter or had like a slightly different cadence feels right to me. So I would work with him um, to make sure that the line kind of was still consistent within the the internal language construction, um, but still sort of fit his performance so he could perform. And he became really fluent. Like he, there's a line in episode two, one of Top's first lines. And when I heard him, perf- like I watched it for the first time, fully, you know, dubbed on, on Netflix when we were watching the show. And he says the line and it sounds amazing. It sounds so good. And it was like, I, I texted him Im- immediately. And I was just like, this is amazing. You did such a good job. Um, but yeah, like hearing, hearing a performer perform this constructed language so fluently is just music to my ears. Yeah. And it was so, so one of those, um, rare occasions where, um, the puppeteer, uh, with Victor, he, he also vo- voiced, um, Hup. Uh, so I thought that was sort of a great connection, you know, between having the puppeteer and a voice, you know, to doing the, you know, the one character with Hup. Yeah. 
yeah, he, it was just um, Hup was just such an amazing character, and I just loved him throughout throughout the show, and just all the all the fun moments that we get from him um, is just. Yeah, again, just he's just so much fun. Is there anything <laughs> Victor Yard can't do? I mean, he puppeteers, he voices, he sounds like a master of of podling. The I mean, can you, Joe? Can you speak it as well as Victor does now? No, not absolutely not. Oh, <laughs> I didn't have say. to. <laughs> <laughs> no. He does it amazing. Oh my no, god. He... he did a fantastic job, and also because Hup, Hup's whole like sort of linguistic evolution is that he speaks mostly podling in the beginning and then he starts to speak more and more English as the show goes on. But consider that like if you in shows like Game of Thrones, for example, uh, you have a human performer who is performing a language that maybe the, the viewers don't understand, but they can still emote with their human body. Right. <laughs> um, right. And being able to convey what Hup is saying, even when the viewers don't understand the words that he's saying through a puppet, was just like chef's kiss. I'm doing that. You know, it was just perfect. Oh. <laughs> um, he did a great job. So, Joe, my I'm interested, you know, having worked on the books for as long as, you know, books take a long time. There's just so much work that goes into it. Obviously, there's so much work that goes into the show, but you sort of being a part of Henson and being involved, you know, getting involved with them with the writer's contest. And there was so much happening before the show was announced that day. And then of course you're in the writer's room and you're writing and you're doing all of these things. But then the day where you walk on set and you're seeing for the first time, you know, characters that you've written sets, all of those things, what, what's going on in your head at that point and your heart. So, when they said they were filming in the UK, I was like, man, I have friends in the UK. Like, we could, we could go visit, <laughs> you know? Like, this is just a vacation. Um, so I mean, knew, always knew that I wanted to go and visit. Um, and so when we got there, though, they, it was very, I was trying to schedule with Jeff, you know, the times, because he was on set the entire time. And so he was sort of my contact and, um, I was like, you know, is there a better time for us to come or whatever? And, you know, I didn't want to be like, hey, tell me when, you know, Naya and Kylan will be on set because I would really like to see them because, you know, you never know. And then the, the schedules change or whatever. And so he just he gave us the best time when when we could visit the set and that they would be, you know, shooting. So we made plans and we went out and just by happenstance, we happened to be there the day that they were filming the funeral song. Um, so just coincidentally, I was, we were, we were visiting for two days and we were there the day that Naya and Kylan were, and Gurjan were both, were all on set and all the characters were there and it was amazing. It was emotional. It was just like, yeah. and you know, like you get there and like, you know, Jeff's been in the trenches and Louis's been in the, tre everybody's been there for, you know, months and, um, but for me coming in fresh, you know, and seeing, it's it's one thing you see the puppets, you know, on their on their sticks, you know, and then, you know, they then the puppeteers come back from lunch and they start shooting and you can see them come to life and to see Kylan like to see to see them get that furka into his mouth as a puppet and like it not be weird. It was just like it was magical. It was absolutely magical. It's OK. You're in a safe spot. You you may have tried. It's cool. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I would have too. <laughs> well, and people have to, yeah, and people have to understand that, like, not just there's, you know, people call it movie magic, and yes, that's a real and true thing. If you've seen a film be uh, be filmed, or you know, you've seen a behind the scenes documentary, like the incredible documentary that's included with the Age of Resistance, everyone should see it for sure. But to step in that world physically, and you're there with, you know, I know the sets are built in certain ways and they move and they go up and they go down depending on all sorts of different things. But it is real and true movie magic when it involves puppetry. And uh, just seeing the documentary is like, you know, and you're, you know, and you're seeing even the, the people, the people who are in charge of the animatronics and their role and getting the hands to move and all of those little details that bring these characters fully to life. So they just feel like another sort of person on screen. It's just really amazing. So what a treatment that must have been for you. It's it, awesome. It really was. And there's a photo in the documentary. I'm sitting with Naya and Kylan and that was on set, obviously. And um, I wanted to make sure that we got a picture with them. 
And so they they called two of the puppeteers to come and like puppeteer them, you know, so that the photo and it, it was so weird because I've never been around like a really good puppeteer <laughs> doing a doing a you know and um it was so interesting because one moment it's a Naya and Kylan are puppets and the next moment they're alive in that photo. And um my wife said after she, she took the picture and she was like uh, I've never seen you smile like that in front of a camera. So I think it's, I think it was a good one. <laughs> so oh, um, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. Yeah. It, yeah. That must've been just, yeah, such an incredible time just, just being on set. And I guess like with the funeral song, um, I know those sort of speaking in their, their own language for, you know, for the funeral song, uh, was that something you also devised up with, uh, with write, writing the song or was that, uh, someone else that sort of, uh, uh, did that yeah so there's several songs throughout the show some of the songs um so like i translated hub song because we wanted to do that in podling i don't remember the funeral song specifically um but i i was so glad to see sort of the the musical aspect come into the show um since music is so 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 important to both uh the thra and to gelfling culture i was it, i whenever Whenever any of the musical sort of, um, not scenes, but like moods, I want to say, um, happens, those are some of my favorite moments in the show. And then like the trailer, when the first trailer came out and there was that song in, in the, the trailer, I was just like, yes, this is, this is, yeah. this is, this is so good. Yeah. Who, who wrote the melody for Hup Song, which I absolutely love. It's just mysterious and beautiful. And uh, yeah, I would love to hear more of that song i i think it might have been daniel pemberton but i'm not don't quote me on that you should probably look at you know i think it's in the credits i remember i remember having a call going over like the different lyrics credits so i think that there is an extended credit role that has the song credits in it right on mm. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, no. i'll check that out going back to hub song where can we go to get the translations for that I don't know the answer to that. Um, Dear Henson, if you're listening, <laughs> because there's some uh, mention of Kira Staba in there, and I'm like, I want to know more about what he's talking about. What's he singing about? What's he? What's going on in his mind? What's that song what's about? There, Hup? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I don't know if there's there has been a lot of um, there's been a lot of questions about. A lot of the podling language stuff, and I, I, I hear you. I want to. <laughs> I'm hearing the questions loud and clear. It's like, yeah, hold your horses. We'll we'll think of something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I, yeah. I mean, that has been something I had been hearing a lot on Twitter. Like a lot of people wanted to know. Oh, it, you know, will there ever be like a podling translation book? I mean, it. I mean, it, it would totally be incredible if it, if it if it did it um, happen um, for sure. But of course, I mean, you, you actually got a couple of uh, books that are going to be coming out in a couple of months' time. Um, I mean, one of which is sort of, I mean, we, we could talk a little bit about it, but one of which is uh, Heroes of the Resistance. And so, yeah, so, I mean, how has it been, like, I guess, being involved with the show that you're able to sort of, you know, to come up with sort of a, um, so I, I like, like what's it sort of being described as sort of like a character guide or like a sort of how, how did that sort of all came to place? Like with, with heroes of the resistance. And also I think the other book, the Augur's, um, uh, words of words of wisdom. Yes. Uh, so Augur's words of wisdom is a illustrated, uh, I would say like it's a gift book. It has, um, sort of like Agra esque words of wisdom and then it's paired with full bleed full color um illustrations by Corey godby um it's a it's a great little book if you just are looking for something that's really beautiful a little bit funny kind of philosophical um and uh so that's that one and then heroes of the resistance is a character guide for i would say younger viewers of the show or anybody who's like a really big collector it has photos of like the different characters that appear in the show and their little you know information and facts about them um information about you know like uh the relationships between the main characters and things like that 
Um, yeah, so those are both out, uh, I want to say November 12th, I think is the release date. Um, and then there's a third one that's going to be hopefully announced soon that I'm really excited about, but can't say anything else about it right now. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn. Of course, yeah. And I guess, I mean, one of the questions, I know I know there's a sort of discuss on Twitter, but um, everyone wants to know um, the name of the redhead paladin. I um, want to know Freckles. his name too. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to get that in Heroes of the Resistance. You mean if they name him? <laughs> wink, wink. Because Jeff Jeff answered that on fa- in the Facebook Crystal Shard group. Jeff answered that himself. He said that there was no name. Yeah. No, he's just red-haired oh, paladin in the script. Red-haired but paladin, I, yeah. I, I remember seeing him in the scripts and then being like, I wonder what red-haired paladin is going to look like. And then he came on, on the screen and I was like, oh, okay. Red-haired paladin, I get okay, and then um, he's a hit with he, all the ladies for whatever. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh yeah he's funny. Um, I like him. I hope we find out more. I hope he had, gets his own spin-off series. Who knew he was going to be like the Boba Fett uh, of yeah. Age of Resistance? Like okay, <laughs> or the I Christian Grey, or the whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's going to get his own spin-off of novels and comics. He's going to be a hit. You know, like, do you like Jen or Kira? Oh, I like Red-Haired Paladin. You know, yeah. who knew? Yeah. Who saw this coming? <laughs> or Force so Awakens, that one stormtrooper, that like, traitor! That guy. Oh my gosh, who knew? I had yeah. no idea. Like, okay, <laughs> Freckles, calm down. It's, it's, it's just been so much fun just seeing, you know, all, all the interactions like on Twitter and um and facebook and instagram and yeah, it's just been um incredible just seeing um everything with, with the show and i guess you know we're, we're also you know fingers crossed of course with you know whether we'll get more dark crystal down the track i know we will certainly will be in the, in the next uh, coming months so it's uh just just so much to to look forward to absolutely yep mm-hmm. keep watching it keep watching on netflix just leave it running when you're not home, just play it over and over and over again. I want to, yeah. but it always says, are you still watching? <laughs> yeah, I know. Assuming. Come on, Netflix. We're trying to, rig, know, we're trying to rig it. Come on. Yeah. I know, because I, I remember I tried to do it as well, and I think it only got through the first four episodes. It's like, oh, I just sort of stopped and like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> are you still there? Are you okay? Yeah. I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> That's a lot of Dark Crystal. Get up, walk yeah. around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are there places, and I don't want you to talk about it specifically, but I'm just curious, are there places you want to go, not so much with the story of Age of Resistance or Jen and Kira, but there are, are there places on Thra you want to go that your mind drifts off to, that you think about? Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. There are definitely, and for me, they are both, I want to say, physical locations, but they are also mostly the loca- the, the places that happen between characters um there are definitely character relationships that i would love to explore more fully um and so you know that's 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 mostly what what where mine go my mind goes when i think about like what if you know if 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 where would i go and those are the places that i that i would that i feel drawn to that are that are inspiring to me is to explore the relationships between those characters winged male gelflings on prophecy wall <laughs> i have a question is sure. it omri or amri it's omri all right i'm writing that down okay all right yeah and i know and i know that was one of the many things that a lot of fans were wondering like what what happened with amri um because i know <laughs> i uh, didn't mean to be so got left out in the show that, yeah and, yeah uh, is yeah. he okay? The answer, the, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the answer was so undramatic. I know to, to, there was a guy who who did a video. Um, to, oh, Tobias, he interviewed me for for for. Uh, I think that's the interview is on the Trial by Stone website, right? And he he yes, he was is, like, yeah. "Is he okay? Is he I'm worried about Omri?" And I'm like, "I didn't know. I wanted to wait for the show to come out, you know, because I didn't want to say like." Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it ended up being sort of an undramatic uh, reason was just that um, when I was working on the show in early 2017, I had not I I had not outlined book three yet. Um, it was actually we waited until the show was all outlined and had been the scripts had been written and everybody had left the writer's room mostly um, and gone home that I started working on the outlines for book three because you know, there were a lot of things that had changed since my original outline for book three. Um, and so Omri mostly 
came to life in book three, which was written after the show had been sort of already planned. Um, so he just sort of missed the boat, <laughs> which is just like, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. Don't worry about Omri. Uh, he's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just going to go off into the swamps, have babies. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. At least that's what my headcanon says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll have to wrap it up. Um, but yeah, Joe, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for being on the show and being on the show for, you know, it, all the years that you've been, you know, talking about with your, with your books and, and with Age Resistance. I mean, it's just such an exciting time, you know, for Dark Crystal. Just the amount of um, things that we've got. I mean, especially this year with the show, of course, uh, getting 10 hours of Dark Crystal was just something that I think myself and, of course, a lot of fans just never imagined that we'd ever get in our lifetime. So... Again, thank you so much, and I yeah, I, and I'm just looking forward to seeing um, what you'll be doing next. You know, with Dark Crystal or any of your um, other books um, that you might have in, in the works as well. So, I guess uh, for anyone that wants to find out how they can find you, um, what's the best way they can f- find you, like on social media, um, Joey? Yeah. So first, actually, let me respond to what you said just before, which is like I wanted to thank you guys um, for. I think, and and all of the fans who are listening to Trial by Stone, there this this podcast started before there was any guarantee of a television show. There was definitely no guarantee of a Netflix show, and you know the podcast rolling and being a huge core component of the fan community. I think is a way that a lot of the fans were able to sort of hold on to each other and unite and have their own Gelfling gathering in a way that made the those it made. It gave a, a place um, for Age of Resistance to land, right? Like when when that happened, and I think that that's a huge, huge kudos to to you guys for kind of pulling this together just for fun. You know what I mean? Like like there wasn't it wasn't like they were like if you do this podcast in if in four years there will be a Netflix show. You know, this was a purely fan driven um project that you did because you love the dark crystal and that type of thing is the reason that age of resistance was able to you know come to be and so i think that you know that that philip and jamie and ethan for for running the the podcast and for for keeping the fan community alive i think that that is you guys deserve a huge thanks as well um that's so mostly would... you phil i mean you're the man <laughs> seriously day in and day out i mean that that was the thing like five years ago yeah, if future me, if I got to got, if I got to the crystal chamber and see a future future me in the crystal saying, oh, don't worry, a couple of years, you know, four or so years time, there's going to be a Netflix show, and I wouldn't believe it at all. It's um, yeah, it's just been so surreal. And I know, like, you know, when we first when I first did the podcast, it was around a time that you know you were just announced as the winner of the Author Quest, and 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 I just I just wanted to make a podcast like in general, and 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 I. I'm always been fascinated with the world of the dark crystal. It's one of my all time favorite films. And it was just something that, you know, with yourself, you know, with dark crystal sort of coming back in a way, like with the books, I thought, well, at least there's going to be some, you know, some things to talk about. Um, but yeah, never imagined that we'd be <laughs> where we right. are today. <laughs> well, I remember, it is so yeah, yeah. I remember thinking like, how how many episodes can he do? <laughs> like, like you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. there's a there's there's some stuff, but like it's you know limited. But yeah, I mean like here and here we are five years later. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just unreal. It is really unreal. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I guess as far as sort of like where people can find me, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I use Joeyverse, J-O-E-Y-V-E-R-S-E. Um, like I said, we have two Dark Crystal books coming in November and a third unannounced um, one that will be announced soon. I am also um, really happy to say that we sold my first non-Dark Crystal project. So um, That's I, awesome. I, Congratulations. Yeah, so the Nightland it- Express... Oh, yeah, the Express. I was going to say it's a train something something. Go yeah, on. Uh, so um, the Nightland Express is a YA historical fantasy that is sort of uh, described as the Pony Express, but with fairies. So that's coming in 2020 from Erwin Books, which I'm very, very, very excited about. It's a, been a passion project of mine for years. So it's really cool to see that coming on the tales of all of this Dark Crystal stuff, too. So that's. Oh, I dig that. That's the future. Pony Express with fairies. Hello. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. And um, yeah, so no, thank you so much. And um, yeah, it's yeah, it's just been so fantastic. Yeah. Great. Thank you. 
Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal podcast is a production of Three Point Edit. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.